Yeah. 
filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, at the mention of your name. Father, your name is glorious. Your name reminds us and calls us to who you are as creator, sovereign Lord, king, lover of our souls. I pray that our worship would reflect how deeply appreciative we are of who you are and all you've done in our lives in this place. And let our worship honor you and we ask this through Christ. Amen. One, two, I give you the opportunity to share a word of greeting with each other. We'll take a few more minutes this morning. Uh, maybe uh, greet some folks you haven't seen for a little bit. I think there's this internal clock in our heads that that's enough and we're done. It's great to see you as we gather for worship today. And uh, just a couple things I want to highlight tonight. Six o'clock, two of uh, most of our favorites, ice cream and fellowship. Uh, We'll be meeting in the community room. Just just a time to to, uh, talk and visit together. Maybe with some folks you haven't seen for a little while. A chance to to talk to and you can come and go as you want. Uh, we'll begin at 6 and probably wrap up sometime before 7, but we hope you can, uh, you'll can you join us tonight uh, for just this time of ice cream and fellowship in the community room. Uh, next Sunday evening, we're, uh, we're hosting a music program and there's a variety of groups, a men's group, women's groups, and the children's choir is going to be singing. And uh, in preparation for that, there's a women's ensemble rehearsal today at 4 o'clock. And it's open to anybody, any women who want to sing, be a part of the group. Just come here at 4 and uh, Amanda will have some music and go through a rehearsal. Uh, maybe rehearse again one more time before that. But we'd love to have you be a part of that group in preparation for next Sunday night. Uh, you see the announcement about uh, relief effort for the uh, Oklahoma victims, a tornado effort there and of course this week more storms more deaths uh more tragedy uh i know that the uh the wesleyan church there where they've kind of been focusing the efforts actually was in the middle of the storm this week but uh efforts are continuing so uh, if you'd like to help with that in any way uh you information on the wesleyan on our website the wesleyan church website as well as we're kind of looking at the idea of maybe a few people going out to help if you're interested in contact pastor kevin at the church office there are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. Um, I want to add to this Rich Stegan, who is having surgery on Friday, and I want to pray for him in preparation for that. Uh, also, we're in this uh, point of pastoral transition. As Mike mentioned last week, he is sort of officially finished as a pastor here, though uh, I was seeing him do pastoral things this morning, uh, which is okay. We'll let him do that. Um, but... Uh, we, and we've had his name different in the bulletin this week, if you notice that from what he thinks he said last week. 
but we just had a, just appreciate so much Mike's uh, work with us this past year, and we're excited for his move into the full-time dean of the chapel position at the college. Uh, we will miss having him here. Of course, they're still involved in the church and the community, but appreciated Mike working with Mike this year. And we also are welcoming Emily Hoffman onto our onto our staff, and we're excited about that and welcoming her in children's ministries. And so if you have a chance to uh, thank Mike and to welcome Emily, I know they both would appreciate that, and we are excited about ministry with them. I'm going to give you an opportunity to give back to, uh, to the Lord in the ways in which he's blessed you as the ushers come and assist us in our offering and children, ages 2 to 5, may be dismissed for Children's Church. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful to the end. We are waiting on you, Jesus. We believe you're all to us. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful to the end. We are waiting on you, Jesus. We believe you're all to us. Son of God, sent from heaven. 
Spend some time praying together. Altar rail is open. If you'd like to use this as a place where you come and pray. Otherwise, be seated. Father, we come today as your sheep, recognizing that you are the good shepherd who loves us and cares for us, who protects us and stays with us through every moment of life. Our world is filled with so much pain and heartache, death and destruction, insecurity and fear dogs us. This morning we bring before you all of this pain and and fear and insecurity, all that we feel, all that we represent. We pray for your healing grace. In our own lives, whatever our struggle today, assure us that you're at work. Open our physical and spiritual eyes to your presence with us. Assure us that you you care. That you're embracing us in your loving arms. Father, we pray for the ongoing problems in so many places of the world, and including our own nation. It's so easy for us to forget how much people are suffering because we're pretty insulated from it. Let your spirit bring peace. In places of poverty and hunger, drought, famine, let your spirit release the rain, the sun, and food to all who are in need. Father, fill us with the compassion of Christ to be agents of blessing and help to people in need. We think especially the people in Oklahoma who have endured more tornadoes and even more deaths. We pray for your grace to be so evident in your people. There are many among us, connected to us, who are now in other places of the world or are preparing to go. We pray that the power of your Holy Spirit will be evident among them. Give them strength for what they face, protect them, 
Use them to be beacons of hope and light and use their experiences and the people that they encounter to work miraculously as you deepen their love for you and for others. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. For many in our community, this is a time of transition, coming and going. We pray, Father, that we will sense your spirit with us in the midst of the transitions, in the midst of the changes that life brings. Help us to see you in all of it. Father, this morning we offer all of our prayers, all of those deep desires of our hearts, all of the burdens and the struggles that we're wrestling with. We offer it all to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, the lover of our souls, the one who has redeemed us from death and made life a reality to his resurrection. It's in his name that we offer our prayers in thanksgiving and gratitude and in confidence and hope. Thank you for hearing our prayers through Christ. Amen. scripture reading today is from Matthew 13 verses 44 to 52 and I will be reading this in Korean 천국은 마치 밭에 감추인 보아와 같으니 사람이 이를 발견한 후 숨겨두고 기뻐하여 돌아가서 자기 소유를 다 팔아 그 밭에 샀느니라 또 천국은 마치 좋은 진주를 구하는 장사와 같으니 극히 값인 진주 하나를 만남에 가서 자기의 소유를 다 팔아 그 진주를 샀느니라. 또 천국은 마치 바다에 치고 각종 물고기를 모으는 그물과 같으니 그물에 가득함에 물가루 끌어내 내고 앉아서 좋은 것은 그릇에 담고 못된 것은 내어 버리느니라. 세상 끝에도 이러하리라. 천사들이 와서 의인 중에서 악인을 갈라내어 풀뭇불에 던져 넣으리니 거기서 울며 이를 갈미 있으리라. 이 모든 것을 깨달았느냐 하시니 대답하되 그러하오이다. 예수께서 가라사대 그러므로 천국의 제자된 서기관마다 마치 새것과 옛것을 그 곳간에서 내어오는 집주인과 같으니라. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand as we sing together. Just another song, more than one more melody, maybe what we need is silence, maybe what we need is to be still, listen for the still small voice. 
morning. Uh, last week, uh, when we were together, we talked about the parable of the leaven uh, working its way through the flour. And uh, no doubt you remember that sermon in detail, but I'll just, uh, you know, my, my purpose in talking about that parable was to get us to think about how the kingdom of God is always operating and can't be stopped 
Even when we don't feel like the kingdom is moving among us, it is. And because of this, I said, we don't need to live in fear. Even when we're tempted to think and feel like the world is getting worse and worse and worse, we don't have to be afraid that somehow God's going to be stopped or that God's kingdom purposes are somehow going to be thwarted. Today, I wanted to talk about a parable that has a different message about the kingdom of God. Uh, As we said last week, right, parables may highlight sort of one facet of what Jesus' teaching about the kingdom is like, but you need more than one parable to fill out the picture. And it's not exactly an opposite message, but it is, I think, complementary to that other message about the kingdom. And it's just the first verse uh, that Kate read this morning. Um, It's... You know, actually, it's funny. I thought, how, how much should you read? Should you just get up and read one verse? Because all I'm preaching on is one verse. I did that before in my old church in Pennsylvania, and the text was, you know, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. And people were just getting their Bible started, and then the scripture reading was over. <laughs> so I, anyway, I've, we had more read today, but all I'm going to talk about is that first verse The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and then hid, and then in his joy, He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Um, When when I was a kid, I remember distinctly that I was fascinated with things I found in the ground and on the ground, much to my mother's chagrin. I, uh, I collected bottle caps and not just, you know, nice bottle caps, but bottle caps that had been smashed by cars, whatever. I just picked things up off the ground and my mother let me keep them in a box, but told me that if they got outside the box, she was going to throw them away. And I never understood why. Uh, But she was not as fascinated as I was with the things I found in the ground or on the ground. Uh, Until I was 11, I lived in the house that my dad had grown up in until he was 13. And then his family moved, but the house stayed in my family. Then, you know, uh, then I grew up there as well. It was was on a, a plot of land that had been in my family for a long, long time. And behind our house, there was a cement pad where a shed had been before. And we used to find the most amazing things in the ground near that shed. Most, most interesting to me were these old dark brown insulin bottles about that big. Um, my great-grandmother had been diabetic, and so there were traces of things that she had used to take care of her diabetes. And, in addition, we lived not far from an old Native American settlement, and so... Uh, We would run across arrowheads, not infrequently, when we played in the the big field behind our house. Uh, And sometimes it was just something boring like an old Coke bottle or some old bit of trash. It didn't matter much what it was, but things that I found that seemed like they were from days gone by just fascinated me. Like all kids, though, I, I always wished that I would find more than just old trash, right? I wished that I could find buried treasure, I love to read stories of kids who had found buried treasure. And believe it or not, New Jersey, my noble homeland, is known, uh, well, historically thought to be, the site of a lot of buried treasure. Uh, Captain Kidd, Captain William Kidd, who you've no doubt heard about, the 17th century notorious pirate, spent a great deal of time in New Jersey. And many beach towns along the ocean in New Jersey are rumored to be the site of some of Captain Kidd's buried treasure. In fact, Wildwood Every summer has a Captain Kid weekend where people dress up as pirates. So I loved the thought of getting rich quickly, right? I loved the thought of 
beating the odds, that I found something in the ground that had laid there for generations and was really worth something. You know, I realized as I wrote this that, you know, beating the odds and making a quick buck, that just sounds like a New Jersey kind of thing, I guess. Um, but, but I know that the allure of buried treasure is wider than that, right? It cuts across cultures. People want to find buried treasure. Every kid, I think, is fascinated with the idea of being the one to get lucky and strike it rich. It got me thinking that, you know, when you're a kid, your life is just pervaded with this sense of adventure. You know, I, I, you just don't go outside to play. But, you know, when I went outside, I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to find out there. Right? Maybe I would reenact the football game I had just seen on TV. Just me, by myself, with the other 21 players, completely imaginary, but absolutely real to me. Uh, and maybe I'd find buried treasure, or maybe I... Maybe I would just get down on my knees and look at a caterpillar and, and, you know, really look at a caterpillar. Just watch it. And soon, you know, finding myself having this kind of communion with the caterpillar, just sure that I knew its life story, sure that I knew where it came from and where it was going and who it was going to see. Maybe I would just find some old toy just long lost at the bottom of our sandbox and, and that would transport me back to a previous summer when I had played with it last One summer, I remember how for weeks on end, my neighbor's tree was covered with the skins of cicadas, just covered every morning. And we'd go over there in the morning and me and my brother and my friends, we would just pick the cicada skins off the tree and just look at them, you know? Now it's the kind of thing I would yell at my children for. But but then I just picked them off and I'd look at them with that that deep interest that only children have and, and only children have for only for certain things. The mind of, of a child is amazing, and I, I really like watching my oldest two kids now at that age, just watching the whole worlds that are present in their mind, watching all the creativity. It's, a, it's especially interesting to me, as someone who felt very home, at home in church my whole life, that most people's attitude towards the faith is diametrically opposite from a kid going outside to play for the morning. That it's so different from that sense of wonder and adventure I had when I was a kid. There's a sense for most people, I think, that Christianity represents a certain kind of establishment in our country. Christianity is about behaving a certain way. It's about maintaining a certain decorum. It's somehow about restraining and channeling our inner impulses, not giving them free reign. It's primarily about disciplining ourselves, not increasing our creativity. In many people's minds, Christianity is mostly about telling me what kinds of fun I'm not allowed to have, what kinds of food I'm not allowed to eat, what kinds of beverages I'm not allowed to drink, and how much money I'm not allowed to spend on myself. For many people in our country, Christianity is is something we we feel we inherit and we have a duty to pass it on to the next generation. And as I said last week, I think we tend to live fearfully 
as Christians, fearful of losing that inheritance, fearfully, uh, uh, fearful that our, our rights as Christians may be taken away, fearful that our cultural advantages and dominance as Christians might be taken away. And, and the result is that most people think of Christianity as something we've gotten from people before us and something, if you will, that's classically conservative. And I don't mean that politically, but in the sense that we are primarily protecting something that's been given to us against a culture that opposes it. And that's what makes this parable so interesting to me. Because that picture of Christianity as something we inherit and protect and guard is so different from a kid playing outside. And it's so very different than this parable. The first thing I want you to notice about the parable is simply the way that it compares the kingdom of heaven to buried treasure. The kingdom of heaven is more the stuff of kids with wild imaginations playing in the backyard looking for buried treasure than it is the stuff of proper adults protecting their positions of power. I'll say it again because that was a long sentence. Christianity is more the stuff of kids playing outside with their wild imaginations looking for buried treasure than it is the stuff of adults protecting their positions of power. Imagine for a second that you are doing some renovations at your house and you tear out a wall and there hidden in the wall is a suitcase <coughs> full of money. And the money is old enough that, of course, the money is worth far more than the, the currency that's printed on the paper. Can you imagine the feeling you would have of finding a suitcase of old money in your house? You, you know, it's funny, uh, Charlie and Connie, you could appreciate this. I, I, we live in Alan Esther Smith's old house, Charlie, uh, Charlie and Audrey Pocock's parents. And uh, we, I was up in the attic. We didn't find any money, don't worry. But <laughs> I was up in the attic and installing a, a fan up there. And I came across an old gospel tract. And I was like, I guess this is the kind of stuff you find in Houghton, you know, <laughs> buried in the walls as old gospel tracts, not suitcases full of money. But, <laughs> right. but if you found a suitcase full of money, not only would you feel lucky for all that you had found, you would just feel giddy. You would think, I, I can't believe this happened to me. I mean, this is, a, this is the kind of stuff you see on the last two minutes of the local newscast. I mean, this is the kind of human interest story that we read about in the newspaper. Or, or I can't believe this has happened to me right, right here in Houghton. Right here in my house. <clears throat> this is what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. like. Like a person who suddenly, through no fault of their own, just minding their own business, stumbles on the most amazing riches they've ever seen. Maybe this is why Jesus says we have to be like, be like children to enter the kingdom. Because only kids would think it's even possible to stumble upon something so great in the middle of an ordinary day. But there it is right in front of you. The kingdom of heaven. A treasure. How far is this removed from the way our culture understands the faith? Right? How far is this from the way that you understand the faith? I mean, the culture out there, I expect them not to get it. But, but we also sometimes choose to view the faith in terms of of our own responsibilities. Probably because it makes us feel good to think that we've earned something by finding the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus' first pretty obvious point in this parable is that we didn't do anything to earn it. It's a gift and a gift beyond our wildest imagination and something that just showed up in our lives on our doorstep. 
This parable doesn't tell us that the guy's a treasure hunter or anything. I mean, it's, he's just a guy out working in a field and suddenly his, his shovel hits a dusty old chest that turns out to be filled with wild pirate treasure. How long have you considered what a privilege it is to have stumbled upon this treasure in your life? I confess that most of the time when I wake up on Sunday morning, I do so thinking about the responsibilities I have at church for the day. This morning was no exception. Gabriel, thanks to you. Gabriel's our three-week-old son. Uh, I was up with Gabriel till one in the morning. Then Gabriel decided to wake up again about three and about six. And when six o'clock hit, and then the other kids tumbled into our room and into bed, I thought, I have nothing in the tank for today. Please, God, let it be Saturday. And then... No, it's Sunday, <laughs> right? And so I got to get up and I got to preach and I got stuff I have to do, right? When I wake up thinking that way, this parable reminds me that my attitude needs a, a bit of adjustment. Not that I don't have to be real about being tired, but, but about what it is that I'm pursuing here this morning, right? When I get up on Sunday morning, this parable tells me I'm going to a treasure chamber, right? A vast room filled with truth and riches And things that other people, many people in the world, never get to experience for whatever reason. The kingdom of heaven is like buried treasure. The second thing I want you to see in the parable is is what the man does. As soon as he pulls that treasure chest up out of the ground, the first thing he does is to look around and make sure no one else is looking. And then quickly and very quietly, he puts that treasure chest back in the ground and covers it over with dirt. And then he creeps away like nothing has ever happened. And he goes home and he empties his piggy bank and he realizes I have nowhere near enough money to buy this field. And so he looks over at his TV in the corner and he says, I don't need a TV. And so he sells the TV and and he realizes he's still short. And so he looks over at his bed and he says, I don't really need a bed. I guess I can sleep on the floor. So he sells his bed and he he realizes he's still short. And so he looks at his dog and he says, no, no, I can't sell the dog. But he, he scans around and he, he empties out everything. He empties out furniture and rugs and tables and chairs and everything. And finally he has enough to buy that field and he runs And he buys it just to get that treasure that he's longing for. Last week, we we talked about how the kingdom of God is always at work behind the scenes. Sometimes hidden, but always working. But, But here I want you to see that the kingdom of God is something to be seized when you see it. It's something we need to take definitive action to secure. And we need to choose to involve ourselves with the kingdom of God whatever inconvenience that may pose to the rest of our lives. Now, again, this is an opposition to the way that we tend to view the gospel practically. We would say that in our heads, but the way we live it out betrays that we don't actually think about it this way. We, we live with a sense that the kingdom of heaven is always available to us. And in fact, we feel less like the kingdom of heaven is a treasure to be seized then we feel that the kingdom of heaven is a responsibility to be tended to. Think, for example, of that nagging feeling you get when you realize, I should really get involved with a small group at the church. But that's a huge time commitment. And most of them are on Sunday. And the ones that aren't are on Monday. And I don't have a lot of time Sunday or Monday nights. Or that feeling you have that maybe I should do some kind of mission stuff this summer, a short-term missions trip, something back home, but... 
But there's only 14 weeks between Memorial Day and Labor Day. I've counted them, that's true. And you're not sure I want to take one of those, not to mention the vacation time that it would cost you, to do that kind of thing. Or maybe you feel like, I don't know, I I should really get involved with the work of Wellspring Ministries, but I don't really know the people involved, and I'd have to take so much time to learn a whole new group of people. It's just a lot of work. Now, please hear me right. I'm not trying to browbeat you into those things, right? Too often sermons sort of degenerate into browbeating to do those kinds of things, and that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to browbeat you into getting into a small group or doing missions or Wellspring. They're all good things. But I realize they're not for everyone, and very few people can do all of those things. But what I want you to see is how often we conceptualize those things as duties instead of opportunities. How often we think of them in our heads, not as opportunities that are available to us to grasp and embrace what God is doing, and instead, things I really should do. I say that not knowing whether you should do them or not. But I just want you to think about how you think of them. The message of this parable is that that the kingdom of God, with all its attendant difficulties, is an opportunity which you seize when it comes your way. Not a series of duties that you have to tend to to make that nagging inner voice shut up. That's not what the kingdom of God is. The, The kingdom of heaven has the ability to repay everything You give up to pursue it, and much more on top of that. Um, In churches that um, use the lectionary on these days, uh, the lectionary, like in the Catholic Church, Episcopal Church, lots of churches, they have an ordered list of readings, and they have an Old Testament reading, and a New Testament reading, and an epistle reading every week, and a psalm. And in churches that do that, for this New Testament reading, it's paired with the Old Testament reading, is the Old Testament story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel. And in that passage, Jacob is told by Laban that if he wants to marry his daughter, Rachel, he's going to have to work seven years for the right to marry this beautiful woman. And Jacob does that. Jacob says, good deal. She's that beautiful. And the scripture says that she was so beautiful, in fact, and Jacob was so taken with her, that for him, those seven years seemed but a few days. And then, of course, in the story, there is this tremendous mix-up that I don't fully understand. But after the wedding, Jacob realizes he hasn't, in fact, married Rachel, but her homelier sister, Leah. And he is told that if he wants to marry Rachel as well, he's going to have to work another seven years. Now, here's the thing. I would have been an extremely grouchy man had this happened to me. Jill has three sisters. I love each of them a lot. They're great people, but I don't want to be married to any of them. And I would have been a touch resentful of the whole family if they had pulled a trick like this on me. But Jacob is not resentful. Instead, Jacob sees that I still have an opportunity to marry the woman I love. Yes, the road is harder than I thought. Yes, I will have to work another seven years. But there is still an opportunity here if I will seize it. And so seize it he does. And he works another seven years for her. And and for me, this is a picture of how the kingdom should look to us. Yes, it is demanding. But the demands just wilt in light of the opportunity to be part of what God is doing. The last thing I want you to see, the third thing is... The rather sneaky and mischievous overtones of this parable. 
what this man does is perhaps dishonest. At least his actions reveal that he wants to maintain secrecy, right? He hides the treasure again. He doesn't want to tell the owner of the land that he's found treasure on it. Because if he does, the owner could rightfully claim it as his own. And so instead, he buries the treasure again. And then he goes up to the owner like, "Um, how much do you want for that field over there? Knowing full well that no matter what the owner wants, he's ripping the guy off at any price. Now, this part of the parable tends to make people uncomfortable. And uh, commentaries that I've read go out of their way to kind of bury this and say, if you will, bury, yes. <laughs> they go out of their way to sort of say, well, there's nothing really. They find sort of semantic gymnastics, as far as I'm concerned, to kind of explain away what the guy has done. But I really like it. And maybe this is, again, my New Jersey coming out in me. I don't know. I like a guy who's kind of sneaky, conniving, dishonest, right? It feels like home to me. I don't know. I, I, I like it, though, for lots of reasons. For one, I mean, the first reason I like it, I have to be honest, is the way that this reveals that, to me, it's a very clear indicator this parable is authentic to Jesus, right? If you're inventing a story about a Messiah who saves the world and teaches you all about God, if you're going to go back and put words in that Messiah's mouth, it's probably not going to be like, the kingdom of heaven is like a rascal or a cheat, right? To me, the fact that this parable has some rough edges demonstrates it probably does go back to the guy who the Bible says it goes back to. But, but I also have to say I really like it because I like the fact this guy is a scoundrel. That's part of the, the parable's charm to me. Why? Because, again, I think it demonstrates something of the way Jesus wants us to pursue the kingdom. What kind of spirit does Jesus want us to bring to this kingdom thing? Not the kind of spirit that's, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a rich man who saw an opportunity to make a little more money. Or the kingdom of heaven should be pursued like a man consumed with propriety, always concerned about what other people are thinking of him, always wanting other people to think well of him. He doesn't even want us... To pursue the kingdom like someone who's concerned with a moral dilemma. What should I do? Is this the right thing to do or isn't it? Jesus wants people to pursue the kingdom like shady hucksters who see their one big chance to strike it rich and never work again. And will do whatever they have to do to make that happen. Does that mean he wants us to be deceitful in how we interact with others? No, I mean, I think that would make a mockery of the rest of the gospel. But, but Jesus is looking for people with that spirit, people who see the kingdom and are convinced that what he's saying really does have the secret to abundant life here and eternal life there. And so I'm going to chase it no matter what, no matter the difficulty, no matter the moral dilemma, no matter what it looks like to the rest of the world. File this among things you would never thought you would hear at church I wonder if we have enough shady hucksters in this room. We don't really need more shady hucksters at Houghton, but but we can find it difficult to pursue the kingdom with that kind of wild abandon. That's part of living in a community like ours where we're surrounded by Christians and we sometimes fear appearing strange to each other. We don't want to appear to be unconcerned with the faith. Heaven knows we're not just going to show up at the liquor store, right? We don't want to appear like that. But we also don't want to appear to be too concerned with the faith either. We don't want the other people around us to feel judged. But we also, I think, and that's noble, I don't, don't get me wrong, but, but we also have to recognize that we have a shared vocation at our church and I think at our town in general 
to be a place that embraces the value of the kingdom, even when to embrace the kingdom is a strange and countercultural thing to do. How, how amazing would it be if Houghton had a reputation of being a place that passionately pursued the kingdom, that had a drive to feed the hungry, no matter what that drive looked like to the world around us, a drive to care for the body and soul, even when others didn't understand, a drive to build the kind of kingdom community where everyone can know Christ's love, even when it led to us being misunderstood and maybe even other people disapproving. How amazing would it be if Houghton was known as an adventurous place? A place where people took risks on behalf of the kingdom because we know how good that kingdom is. We live in what one scholar has called a disenchanted world. And the writer means that we live in a world that doesn't take God or the divine or the spiritual for granted anymore. It's a, a world without enchantment. It's a world where what you see is all there is. And as a result, the world today feels like it is superior to its ancestors, all of whom believed in a God that our generation tends to think of as primitive. But while they feel superior, they also feel alone. To live in a disenchanted world and to be able to point that out to other people makes you feel good about yourself, but it also makes you feel very, very alone. The world fears people who passionately pursue the kingdom. The world fears people who are sold out for God. But as much as the world fears people who are sold out for God, they even more deeply fear that there is no God worth selling out for. And when we embrace the message of this parable, that the kingdom of God is a treasure that wise people pursue ardently and passionately, if not always prudently, we give hope to a disenchanted world. We give hope to a generation that feels like they're just lonely passengers on a planet going from nowhere to nowhere. That generation is just waiting to see people who know what a treasure they have in the kingdom of God. And I want them to see it in us. Let's pray. God, we come this morning with a variety of motives, a variety of attitudes. We come, uh, some of us, from peaceful mornings, sipping coffee, and some of us from mornings of mayhem, trying to get everybody together and out the door. And yet here we are together, God, and here we are before your word, reminded again of what a treasure your kingdom is. God, we pray that you would inspire in us that feeling we had the first time we saw the kingdom as a treasure. The first time we looked at that treasure and knew that we had found that thing we wanted to chase our whole lives long. Renew that in us today and help us to be bold in seizing the kingdom today, no matter what the rest of the world think. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
I once was lost in darkest nights, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life and led me to this thing on right. I'm just going to take it off. Sorry.